says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another installment of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And it's a two-man band this week. Unfortunately, no Spiro, but I do have my good mate Sixies in. Let's get him on the line with the old shout-out. News team, assemble! Sixties, another week of the Rugby League World Cup and its three iterations, men, women and the wheelchair tournament. Another week of NRL news and some big time news this week. We've got the NRL draw being dropped on our heads today and yesterday before the leaks and confirmations coming through. Did it have you shaken up, big fella? How are you holding up? Mate, there's always, always something to talk about with the NRL, with Rugby League in general. Bit of a shout out to our good mate Spiro. Mate, he is an absolute workaholic. He's uh, not with us because just trying to narrow down his availability this week with his uh, commitments to radio and his his um, uh, production jobs within uh, 2GB slash Channel 9, he's just a man in demand. So it's just you and I, mate, just uh, till next week. Uh, hopefully Spiro's available next week. But, yeah, plenty for us to talk about today. Yes, it's uh, he's in our hearts, even if he's not here with us. And, yes, he, uh, he is a big part of the Tip Sheet podcast when it comes to the NRL news and discussion around it. So, unfortunately, we have to shoulder the burden without him. And, and the listeners will be very upset about that, I'm sure. But we'll have him back hopefully next week, 60s. Yes, yeah, I'm sure we will. And um, but yeah, so much to talk about because it's not just the the rugby league on the front pages when it comes to the World Cup, but there's been plenty going on with negotiations around uh, salary caps, with the draw coming out. It's mm-hmm. just been non-stop. All right, well, let's get stuck into it. Let's start as always across these last few weeks with the rugby league World Cup. Moving into the final stages now for the men, the women, and the wheelchair tournaments in the quarterfinals for the men. We had four games, obviously, given it's the quarterfinals, starting with Australia v. Lebanon. The Cedars, look, we we knew it was going to be a one-way game by and large, but the Aussie team, they weren't the sharpest, but they did defeat them pretty comfortably, 48-4. to I think think, uh, the Fox, sorry, bagged the Pfeiffer. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. So the Australians, too good in that game there. Followed up by the hosts, England. They accounted for PNG comfortably, 46-6. to six. The game, the two games of the quarterfinals came after this, though. Uh, New Zealand, I don't know if they deserve to survive the game, 60s. Fiji gave them an almighty scare. Uh, 24-18, New Zealand prevailing there. But Fiji, they burst out of the gates of the first couple of tries and then had a a late run at the goal line to potentially take the game into overtime. Couldn't quite manage it, but they did not do themselves any shame. Big Mike Acevo scored a try in that contest. And then the other game, which was probably the closest on paper, and we got it right, me, you and Spiro, we all tipped Samoa, and they prevailed in a very tight contest, 20-18 to 18 over Tonga. Junior Barlow, outstanding in this game. He did cop a charge out of it uh, for leading with the elbow or raising his forearm, I believe, going into contact. 
was provisionally suspended for a game, which means he was going to miss the matchup against England, that revenge matchup coming after the round one shellacking, but he managed to challenge and beat at 60s. Yes, yeah, did well to uh, have a challenge go his way. Maybe if he was there in the goal. We don't talk about the judiciary and junior barlow when it comes to the NRL because he is, a, yes, he is a marked man. Yeah, yeah. so, um, but look, I thought the results all were going the way of uh, the first three games. You were really looking for the, you had the situation of full-timers beating part-timers. Mm-hmm. Really, that's that's what it amounted to with yeah. the with the way that the uh, the teams were constructed. Although the as you said, Fiji very unlucky against New Zealand. I think it's fair to say that New Zealand have haven't even really gone close to hitting their straps in this tournament. Maybe it's the uh, this this match against Australia this week is exactly what they need at this stage. But if it goes according to form then Australia is going to be far too good for New Zealand on what's been exposed in this World Cup. And as for uh, Samoa and Tonga, I, as you said, as you mentioned, we all tipped Samoa to get over Tonga. I think it's it's one of those cases, this World Cup, again, where Tonga hasn't really didn't really produce as they should have. Now, the same could have been said about Samoa with that first up game against England, but... They just, you know, there was just something about the way that they were playing that you thought that coming up against a, a team that was not too dissimilar to them in in their structure, in where their strengths and weaknesses lie, that they'd be too strong for Tonga. But we certainly got a game well worth bottling and, and watching again. Yes, sir. And you already sort of alluded to the two matchups that now follow but tomorrow morning, we are recording on a Friday, so Saturday, 6.45 a.m., going to get that big Anzac clash, Australia v. New Zealand. The Roos opening up strong favourites, $1.25 on the Sportsbet line versus the Kiwis, $4. That's followed up by the 1.30 a.m. game, so you can get up early, stay up late uh, Saturday if you want to uh, watch those two games uh, with England taking on Samoa, the host looking to book a spot in the finals. Junior Barlow looking to obviously spoil that and lead a historic charge for Samoa, it would be unprecedented, much like when Tonga made their big charge a few years back. Um, but to get the Samoans into the Rugby League World Cup grand final, uh, the home team Pommies 135 favourites over Samoa 325. Uh, I think it's safe to say that the betting lines are pretty fair there, 60s. I mean, not saying that New Zealand can't upset, uh, can't upset Australia, pardon me there, or that Samoa can't get the uh, the bickies against England, but those two teams are pretty hot favourites for a reason. Yeah, and I think the results will go that way, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we don't have any tips from Spiro, but I imagine he'd probably say uh, most of the same for us. He might actually tip Samoa to maybe push England here, uh, if I was sort of reading into it for him. But, oh, I mean, I would love to see that. I mean... Australia, Samoa, New Zealand, Samoa, both would be very cool matchups for the Rugby League World Cup final. But England at home, I think they're going to be fired up for this one. And Australia, well, they've just got a, a luxury of riches when it comes to players that they can pick. I think Big Reg is back in the team, which is good. So we'll expect to be back in the team. Uh, if we just quick look at the team list here. Uh, we do have Reg. No, he's the 18th man. There you go. So got the six on his back, but 18th man. So, unfortunately, he is scheduled to miss the game as it stands uh, with uh, powerhouses like Jake Dubojevic 
picked over him. But there you go. Oh, please. Uh, and start, like, I don't want to start. And, and for the uh, the other game, I don't think there's any surprises in the English camp. Uh, but I suppose for Samoa, they're counting their chickens here, counting their mm-hmm. blessings because not only the junior managed to beat his charge to take his role as starting prop and captain, but uh, Joseph Swali'i. Well, I don't know how many sort of letters of concerning acts and cautions you can get for raising your knees, uh, but he's on track to the record there. The young star got another notice about cautionary acts there in the World Cup and got no actual charge for it. So he's going to be at fullback, meaning they're going to be relatively full strength for this game. So that's good to see there. Yeah, it is. But I, I think England have been the total professionals in their games in this particular World Cup. They they really look like they, they've they set themselves for this tournament, as yes. they should as the home nation. But uh, they, they've looked every bit the uh, potential uh, champions. I, I think even uh, if, we, if we talk about this game going as per our expectations, I can see them giving Australia um, a run for the money. Yeah, I think they've got the right mindset coming into this tournament. They're very laser-focused, if anything. So... Looking forward to seeing how either of those matchups plays out, depending on the winners. And of course, we'll cover that in the next podcast. We'll move on to the Women's Rugby League World Cup now. Sixty's got two rounds of pool stages to quickly cover before we get into their semi-final matchups. Uh, England fifty-four, too good for Canada. Four PNG thumping Brazil seventy to nil. New Zealand one of the closer games of the pool stages. Uh, they won thirty-four to four over the Cook Islands. Australia absolutely demolishing France ninety-two to nil to round out the second round in round three. Canada and Brazil, we'll talk about this one just before recording. Uh, the Canadians prevailing 22-16, to 16, but this one had a pretty uh, chaotic end that I'll let you describe in a second. England, 42-4 to four over PNG. Cook Islands, they managed to get past France, 26-18. to 18. And then Australia and New Zealand playing a real defensive slugfest, 10-8, to 8, which sets up the semifinals as such. Australia v PNG, England versus New Zealand. Aussies taking on the Kummels of a Kumul ladies. I'm not sure what they actually have their team name for uh, there, but that'll be taking place on Tuesday, the 15th of November, 4 o'clock in the morning. And then uh, Tuesday, the 15th of November, 6.30 a.m. So they're played within uh, two and a half hours of each other just there. You'll see England taking on New Zealand. I imagine Australia are the runaway favourites there. I don't think there is a betting line right now uh, for that. But the English-New Zealand game, New Zealand probably be pretty warm favourites there, but probably a lot closer. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, uh, look. I think that last game, Australia and New Z- and New Zealand, um, an absolute cracker of a game. Like it, it ended up a lot closer than what I thought it would be. Yeah, I think what we all thought it would be. Yeah, yeah. So, um, mate, I, I just want to you hinted at it. Like, I do want to talk about that uh, Canada and uh, Brazil game because. <laughs> Uh, in in round three, we got a couple of the matchups that were going to be uh, the sort of fair that we're looking for when we we talk about the developing nations playing each other and and having closer contests because they're playing uh, another team of a at a similar level of development as themselves. Now, we're not suggesting that the Rugby League World Cup should be uh, cutting out these these particular teams. We were we were talking about it as, as like the uh, not so much a repper charge scenario, but for the teams that don't qualify for the quarterfinals, that they 
they play their own uh, playoff games that mm-hmm. are, allow for uh, automatic entry um, to maybe the winning team or the or the or the team that makes the final in like the B the B division uh, matches if you if we can call it that for the teams that don't uh, reach the quarterfinals in the main draw uh, because we had the game between Canada and Brazil now. Brazil, to me, still look like they just the game is completely foreign to them. But my goodness, they competed, and right, I, you mentioned there the ending. So it's sixteen all, and I, I, for anyone that hasn't watched uh, the replay of the game, it's it, it is interesting to to watch it play out. But it, it's sixteen all. There's about ninety seconds to go, and the Brazil prop, I think it was um, Amaral who was a handful all game, uh, busts down the right side, gets a hands-free, offloads to a support. It's a beautiful offload. It, it, it hits the support player on the chest in, in a little, you know, and it was a little lofted pass. So it wasn't like it was fired into a chest. Unfortunately, she dropped the ball and like she was into space and running with a winger outside her so there was every likelihood that they could have gone uh this was about 40 meters out from the canada line that they could have gone a long way towards the goal line and on top of that being in possession besides everything else Mm -hmm. instead the scrum was packed (laughs) and canada went the big play from the scrum uh went for the kick from the scrum chased downfield the chasing player got her foot to the ball just as the Brazil players were coming across, this is on about the quarter line, and the ball rolled into the in goal and stopped just like pulled, half a meter before pulled up, the yeah. dead line. Yep. Pulled, it pulled up, and you know, there's such narrow in goals as well, so it, it couldn't have been any more perfect. And the Canadian player was chasing through ahead of the uh, the Brazilian players and uh, was able to force the ball and get uh, the 22 16 victory. Uh, but look, just as interesting was the uh, the match between the Cook Islands and France. I thought that was a I thought that was a cracking game as well because you had the Cook Islands who were pretty much playing at the power game, uh, a lot more dominant in the forwards than the French team. The French team, however, probably slightly better conditioned, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit faster. And uh, they had a few opportunities out wide. And it seemed like every time the Cook Islands were going to pull away, um, the French team uh, pulled back. Now, I think they ended up winning 26 to 18 uh, as, the, as the final score. But, yeah, it was a, it was a really interesting game to watch. And uh, for anyone who uh, got the chance to watch the, if we call them minnow nations, playing each other, it was well worth uh, either watching live or or watching a streamed version or recorded version. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yep. And it sets up, uh, I mean, like we said, once again, we talk about that repercharge or the lower bracket sort of uh, finals. Once again, those sort of games really highlight that there is value to be had, right? That, uh, that there is absolute entertainment and development to be done for the international game by not just kicking these teams out of the tournament once the pool stages are done. Uh, so we have to wait and see if uh, the International Rugby League will act on that at some point because clearly they're listening to the Tip Sheet podcast um, and they take yes. all their ideas off us. But I think, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back or try and give ourselves an ego, I think there is absolutely merit to the idea of the lower bracket finals with something on the line where it's automatic qualification, where it's as simple as just having a trophy there. I don't know. 
Uh, but I would like to see it as a potential development for the Rugby World Cup moving forwards. Of course, there is one more bracket to talk about, and that is the Wheelchair Rugby League World Cup 60s. Australia, not the top dogs in this one heading into the semifinals. England, they topped the pool. Uh, three wins from three, uh, 243 points of differential in their favour. Australia finishing in second, obviously dropping the game against England. Only 48 points of points differential for the uh, green and gold. There, I was about to say blue and gold. Green and gold. Green and gold. In Group B, France, they were too good. Uh, won all three games there. 323 points differential in their favour, so the best of all teams, but probably the weaker pool looking at it there. Wales, they came out second place there, two wins, negative 96 points differential. So they did well to get the other two wins over America and Scotland, but obviously got hammered by the French. Sets up the semifinals as such on Sunday, the 13th of November, 11 o'clock p.m., so a little bit more watchable if you're not uh, either a super early bird or a a very late night owl. Uh, France taking on Australia... And then that's followed up on Monday, 1.30 a.m., so more conventional 2021-22 uh, World Cup times there, England versus Wales. So that, that's the grudge match right there, uh, England versus Wales, 1.30 a.m. Yeah, and look, France has looked classes above everyone else mm-hmm. in this. Um, some of the score lines that they've been recording have been uh, phenomenal. But it's also the manner of the play. This was really the first time that I'd had a look at this international wheelchair rugby league matches. Now, I know that in uh, a lot of the uh, competitions that are in Australia that there can be quite a family affair, the uh, wheelchair rugby league, because able-bodied people can be involved in a yes. team and, and it's not unusual for families to get involved with if they have someone in the family who has a disability that puts them in a wheelchair. Um the whole family can get involved in a team. And uh, really, it's probably one of those situations where the person who is in the wheelchair all the time is probably at an advantage um, in their manoeuvrability in the in the wheelchairs uh, compared to the people who are uh, able-bodied uh, and competing against them mm-hmm. um, and, and not used to uh, moving fa- around the in the wheelchair. with the wheelchair, exactly. The, the sort of minute controls that, or controlled movements that it takes to jostle for the ball and put yourself in a position to get the better angle. But you know what? It, it's not just about some of those minute movements. What about some of the collisions well, that are happening? That, that, yeah, really undersell. <laughs> the way I phrase it, undersells the, the violence of the sport and how aggressive and how much they put their bodies on the line. They, It, it is every bit the collision sport that uh, the conventional code of rugby league is. Yeah, yeah. And and seeing some of the, the skills, like the, the players in the chairs doing in and aways and and manoeuvring their body in the mm-hmm. chair to to avoid having the tag taken off their shoulders, it, it's just something else. What about the kick chase? You know, like yep. the chip over the top, yep. and and the chase in the in the chairs. It's just oh, it, it is just sensational. And seeing some of the efforts that they make to ground the ball in the end goal, it's um, yeah, it's quite the spectacle. And and you can see the joy that's involved in players you know you've got you've got some mixed teams in there with the uh, women and men in the same team you've got a range of ages in the teams as well uh, some quite senior players alongside some quite young players so when they've had this theme about the inclusivity of rugby league at this rugby league world cup it, it's really i think the wheelchair game takes it to that next level of that inclusivity 
and uh, yeah, m- more power to them. It's uh, oh, look, it it pretty much looks like the the French team. It's their their tournament to lose. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, pardon but, the pun there. but it will be interesting to see how oh, Australia. You got, to, you got to chuckle at your little pun there, sixties. Their tournament to lose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, very good picking it up too, mate. <laughs> there we go. Uh, anyway, mate, that's uh, that pretty much wraps up the, yep. uh, the rugby league preview, world cup. preview component for the rugby league world cup. We've got a whole ton of NRL stuff to talk. A lot of Parramatta stuff, a lot of general NRL things. So let's get into the nitty gritty and into the meat as well. Starting off with some great news for the Parramatta Eels. They've uh, shored up their 2023 and beyond roster with a signing and a re-signing. I think the Daily Telegraph were the first ones to be on this one, but it's a player that me and you have spoken about, I don't know, on the podcast, but at least conversationally, we, we talked about this young man quite a lot ever since he left the club. But Matt Dury coming home for two years. He plays back row, did his ACL in 2021, if I'm not mistaken, and sort of has built his way back uh, into playing condition this year, which means he'll be primed to sort of get back to his best in 2023. There's a lot of good football in this young kid. Uh, absolutely is. He was part of that all-conquering 2016 Harold Matts team, mm-hmm. that uh, and of which uh, Dylan Brown and Hayes Dunster are the uh, two remaining players that are still at the Parramatta Club uh, from that team. So he reunites with uh, Dylan Hayes. Uh, he's also ha- has some former teammates in the Australian schoolboys team in Zach Sini and Luca Moretti. There you go. So they were they were uh, in the Australian schoolboys team uh, with Matt Dury. So it's uh, yeah, it's the newspapers didn't really pick up on the fact that he was a junior. He, he has home. never been described as a former. He's like the one player because they revel in talking about former Parramatta's prospects when they get taken <laughs> elsewhere. He is the one player that I've never seen described as a former Parramatta Eels. So very funny to see that sort of play out over the last couple of years. But yes, also very good to have him coming home. Potential game changer when it comes to team selections now, because mm. he very much puts himself in the mix for straight out selection in the back row in Ice's spot. Yes, I mean, up until this point, we sort of had a couple of guys sort of penciled in, looking to jockey and compete for that. Spot whether it was a you know newcomer Jack Murchie, do you move Ryan Madison back to the edge eventually when he comes back from his suspension? Uh, there was a couple other guys there too that were sort of vaguely in the mix, but I think that with this signing right now as it stands, assuming that he gets through the preseason unscathed, and you always knock on wood when it comes to that. I think he is the presumptive favourite to take over that right edge spot. Yeah, and is I mean I know they're different players, but does he bring some of that say similar? Attacking threat. Yeah. I, I mean, threat. Ice is obviously a phenom when it comes to his sort of pound-for-pound pound strength. He's a big unit, but also contains like sort of the pound-for-pound pound fight of a, a much smaller guy, and he was very strong through the contact. I think Dury is rugged and physical, obviously not to Ice's extent because he was sort of the the uh, litmus test, the sort of upper bracket when it comes to the NRL players in that regard. But I think Dury's going to bring point of physicality, and I think he's also a very nuanced player. Um, I, I watching him when he was younger, and you don't always make these comparisons saying they're going to be one to one. But I thought there was a lot of, uh, oh my god, now I have a bra- I literally completely uh, Wade Graham. Sorry, there was a lot of Wade Graham to how he played it. He's a very skilled uh, sort of edge forward, had a bit of a kick to him as well. Could use that as a bit of a mix up repertoire. 
uh, runs good lines, and it was just physical. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I think when it comes to uh, the Parramatta players that have been signed, and I'm, and I'm going to be writing uh, on this, is that apart from Josh Hodson, who has long been a quality player, I think there's the the group of players that Parramatta has signed for next year onwards, their best years would be ahead of them. Yes. And and to an extent, it's very typical Parramatta scouting profiles, right? The guys that aren't in their prime or they've been sort of overlooked or haven't been able to figure it out yet. And we love sort of... Uh, I'm sort of... With my rookie uh, rookie watch reports, was sort of writing about this in my part two, and I think it's almost I don't know if it's fair to say or if it's maybe fair to put on the table as a question, but the Eels might have supplanted Melbourne as one of the or one of if not the the best if not the best sorry club when it comes to scouting these sort of raw prospects, raw gems or overlooked, uh, underutilized players, and then developing them into good NRL players. So it. That entire 2023 recruitment drive just screams to me of guys that fit within that wheelhouse, fit within our wheelhouse when it comes to identification and development. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, he, he's a he's a, a very very good pickup, Matt Dury, and uh, and we also have the uh, the confirmation about the extension of Tony Mattaelli. Yes, and in the same announcement from the club, big Tony Mattaelli, who'd come back to the club in 2022 after a very short stint at Newcastle. He gets the uh, extension to the end of 2025. The club actually uh, acknowledged the different sort of uh, components of the extension. 2023, he'll be part of the development squad, meaning that he's only eligible to play before, is it round 13? I don't know if the new draw, uh, or is it the date now? I, I can't remember. Maybe it's uh, one of the two, but he can only play with an exemption prior to that. But after that, the Eels can use him with an unrestricted use. So he essentially becomes part of the full-time roster. After that, he's part of the top 30, so very interesting to note there because obviously they, they like him a lot to re-sign him for another three years. That's obviously A, the big takeaway from that. But B, the fact that he's on the development contract this coming season sort of implies that the Eels might still not be done when it comes to recruitment. Yeah, and I think there's something like about three spots that are definitely unfilled at the moment. And then you also have that huge cloud hanging over Nathan Brown. Correct. His, because I think when all's said and done, it's most likely that Nathan and the club will part ways, which will mean there's still four places that are available. Now, you would expect then that two of those spots would be filled, you'd have to say, as soon as possible. Well, because the, they, want, the, they want the players uh, they training have to be... and, and integrated. But I think with the new, we'll talk about the new CBA and the new proposal, but I think there was talk about moving the dates too for roster requirements. You need, they're going to be more aggressive with the dates you need to fill your roster in by. Well, you, I mean, when you're talking about four places available, we know that they like to keep two spots uh, free. Um one, you've got that one that's got the, uh, what is it? The I'm trying to think when the, um, they have to have 28 players announced by the first round. Correct. Isn't it? 28 of the 30. So they 
I mean, it's you don't want to be waiting until the last minute for um, the players 27 and 28 because they're not necessarily players 27 and 28 on your roster, if you get what I'm saying. You know, like there's, there's going to be uh, players who are probably already occupying those positions when it comes to salary there. So if Parramatta has uh, players that they intend to sign for this year that they believe are a, a likely chance of playing uh, NRL, you want them involved in the preseason as soon as as soon as you can. Yes, sir. You don't want to be you don't want to be leaving that till uh, just before round one, and then all of a sudden you're adding a player to the to the roster. You 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 want them in your systems and and knowing your systems as soon as possible. So, uh, well, that's as I see it. Anyway, I, I, I mean, agree. It makes common sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, it, we're not. So, I'm not by any means saying. Uh, geez, you better go out there and 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 fill this spot, and you just fill it with anyone. But I'm what I'm suggesting is is that uh, you'd you'd like to think that negotiations are going on at the moment. If you've got that many spots to fill, that negotiations are going on at the moment with certain players, and that they're looking to fill those spots um, with a quality player as soon as possible. So um, yeah, but anyway, it's good that and, that sort of news is coming out. And obviously, back to Tony. Very happy to have him extend his stay at the club. Looked very good in what we saw in season twenty twenty two between Jersey Flag and New South Wales Cup. I think the only real knock we had on him was needing to brush up on his defense, which is pretty much a, a criticism levied against any young prospect. Because as you enter senior football, the physicality becomes that much more testing, and defensively, you get found out a little bit as you sort of take your lumps. Yeah, and on top of that, he didn't get into the uh, into the teams until halfway through the year yep. due to a pre-season, late, late pre-season injury. Uh, and he, so he did a fantastic job yep. fighting his way back in and sort of getting back in good condition late in the season. So he's done very well there. And he's sort of, I mentioned that Rookie Watch article I'm sort of penning, he's definitely one of the prospects to watch moving into season 2023. Yeah, and in the New South Wales Cup, he, was, uh, he forced his way into that team. Uh, in the second half of the season after coming back from injury and was forming a, a good left-side combination with Jake Arthur. Yes. Uh, yep. it obviously, he didn't get to uh, continue through with that as much as possible with Jake's Jake involvement in, the, the, uh, in the NRL team. But, yeah, they linked up. They were um, teammates back in the uh, junior rep days and, uh, yeah, good to see them... Um, you know, combining again at uh, at this level. So, um, yeah, very, very happy with that because, as you mentioned, he's someone that we had a, our eye on last uh, in, in this season just gone and identified as, as a player of great promise. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes with a full preseason under his belt uh, coming into next year. And, of course, with the Rugby League World Cup still running, no news on both Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown, or Will Penasini, for that matter, given that all three were active this week over in England. So no surprises there, 60s. Uh, that's very much a sort of wait and see as the managers in the club work through their negotiations, especially with the cap still being finalised, which we're going to talk about shortly. But yeah, no news, not necessarily bad news in that regard. No, look, there's the noise that comes out around it is is really based on what sort of angle the... The uh, journos, uh, the and the media want to take with the the grabs and the quotes from players. I think prior to the World Cup starting, the players had said enough about. I'm talking about both Moses and uh, and Dylan Brown about 
um, how happy they are at the club, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et Look, nothing, nothing surprises me now after all the departures that we saw in one year uh, last year. I, I have to admit, I just didn't see. We saw some departures as happening, but certain departures I didn't think would happen. Obviously, circumstance and really big coin factor into it, and there's going to be some really big coin that'll be thrown at both Moses and Brown. If they get the likes of, you know, lifetime contracts that are, what I say lifetime, I mean once-in-a-lifetime contracts of around 1.4 or 1.5 million, if they get that sort of amount thrown at them, Parramatta won't match that. Like that. No, that if, just, if the Dolphins or the Tigers or the Bulldogs, because who knows who's a player now with the, the cap increase that's been proposed, I think that all of a sudden there's going to be some teams with a, a sort of bonanza or surplus to throw at a playmaker. If they're willing to throw insane money, then unfortunately for the Eels, there, there is literally a, just a hard cap you've got to put in these players as talented as they are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing is I, I don't, I mean, people, supporters have to bear this in mind. Insane money won't be matched. Once in a lifetime contract money, it's unlikely to be matched because what Parramatta has gone about building is a balanced team. And unfortunately, the cost for that is uh, we don't have those inverted commas superstar type players within the team because, um, you know, trying to, trying to have that balance of having. Uh, a really, really strong core group comes at a price, and that price is, I guess, that marquee player. Like, I guess Dylan Brown, Mitch Moses are our versions of marquee players, mm-hmm. aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, they're premium playmakers, so yeah, they yeah. absolutely are marquee. It's just that the Eels haven't got a fancy toy in the back line or the back row, a la some of the other teams where we, they sort of they talk about that lack of a superstar. So. That's something that might be addressed in the coming sort of season or two, depending on what happens with the cap and development inside the club. But for now, the priority remains trying to retain Mitch, Dill, and Will. Uh, but like you said, 60s, if that sort of Allen Bond offer comes, it's not what you can do. No, there's not. And then that's where you rely on um, the players going, okay, Parra's offered me 1.1 or 1.2. Um, the Tigers have offered me 1.4. Uh, 1.5, how much does that bit of extra coin mean to me? How much of a difference is that going to make? Um, is it going to impact my future greatly? Is it is it worth going to a club that is trying to develop or am I better off staying at a club where uh, I am, uh, you know, the main playmaker or one of the main playmakers mm-hmm. where I respect the systems, the... Um, you know, I, I enjoy my football here. I've got good teammates. Whatever the case may be that are their positives aside from the, the straight-out coin. So that's where you're... you're uh, and where you sort of see plenty of other players in uh, talk about taking less money going to certain clubs yeah. or staying at a certain club. Oh, yeah, I took less money to stay here or I took less money to go there because they like the uh, what else the club has to offer. So... Yeah, that's where you hope that that then applies to star players like uh, Mitch Moses and Dylan Brown. Yes, indeed. And we'll and and, and we'll now we'll yeah. Tennessee. Yeah, um, a little bit of a sort of NRL housekeeping in terms of signing since we're on the subject. Uh, 
Spiro's mystery player sixties, Will Smith, picked yeah, up by the West I, Tigers. I didn't, see, on a, I, didn't, I didn't see it. Didn't yeah, see it coming. No, but picked up by the West Tigers on a train and trial basis, but for the whole year, I think is how they've described it. Very interesting. Usually train and trial just indicates a preseason contract with the potential to be upgraded. So I don't know if that means a development deal or something like that, which I'm not sure he'd qualify given his NRL experience. But yeah, I mean, that's a good pickup by the West Tigers. We love Will Smith. You know, great bloke off the field, was a great uh, presence in both the NRL team and the New South Wales Cup team and was an incredible Swiss Army knife in first grade. Yeah, yeah. So, I, look, I uh, when Spiro was hinting at it, he, he said that he believed that it was going to be uh, a valuable pickup for the West Tigers, a really positive one. And uh, now that I know that it's Will Smith, I would agree with that there. It would seem that he never settled at the Titans. No. And, and given the season that they had, I don't think that's, you know, I think that's quite easily understood. Yeah. Speaking of the Titans, they've picked up a Canterbury Bulldog, another highly uh, sort of touted young star by way of the Illawarra Steelers or the Dragons who joined the Bulldogs, Aaron Shop. He's off to the Gold Coast starting next year, mate. He is. Um, uh, I think there had been a bit of interest that Parramatta might have had at some stage, but uh, geez, I, I believe his asking price was... By, was by virtue fairly- of what the, the Dogs had signed him for and then plus what his agent was looking to extend him for, yeah, I don't think it was one of the cases where the two parties were at very different asking points. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think he has got potential, but, um, you know, it's potential that he ha- certainly he hasn't realised yet. No, maybe that's that might be the uh, no-brainer when you talk about potential, is that you wouldn't be talking about potential if they'd already achieved it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so he was – look, I think, again, for the Titans – uh, I'm assuming that they would have put, they would have played, uh, paid out a bit of coin for that. So, uh, yeah, interesting to see how it goes. And then Canterbury not done shedding backline players. Uh, Corey Allen's been rumoured to be on the outer there. The sort of fullback utility who couldn't crack it in first grade for the blue and white was uh, on a contract of somewhere around the vicinity of half a million dollars there after they bought Incredible. him out from South Sydney. And they're looking to free up some cap space and a roster spot by moving him on. I know that Fox Sports linked into Parramatta and Manly, but I, you'd have to think that for the Eels, unless the Dogs were in for in excess of three hundred thousand dollars taking freight, they're probably going to pass on him in virtue of just or in uh, in place of just you know backing a young guy or, or signing someone of better value. Look, I'll call it now that Parramatta wouldn't be interested mm-hmm. in him. In fact, I believe there's far better value in, uh, you know, in one of our uh, pathways yeah. products like Sean Russell than, yep. than there Russell, is. Russell, Luizu, uh, Zach Sini. Yeah. You know, like yeah. any of those three would be much better value for the Eels. And and to be fair, uh, Alan probably gives you the best coverage at fullback right now, but Russell can play fullback and actually probably do a good job there, just he's been more focused on wing these days. Uh, yeah, I... I I imagine that's manager talk linking him to the blue and gold. And regardless, I'd be very happy if Manly picked him up one way or another. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then a bit of fun stuff here, 60s. We were sort of having a chuckle about this one, but a big shout-out to Braden Williami, who's managed to pick up a new deal with the New Zealand Warriors. So he's still yeah, out his there. 20th, his 20th club. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, uh, oh, Arata Tamara. That was the one I was uh, – Arata Tamara, Arata Tamara, was a player I was trying yeah. to talk to you about uh, in the pre-recording about, you know, sort of going through that record of the most clubs in res- like, whether it's Reggie's or NRL that he's going to rep. But, yeah, 
Willie Army still around there kicking and gets a chance to play in a row in season 2023. What what year did he play for us? Twenty twenty. I'm thinking twenty thirteen. I was I was going twenty thirteen because I'm pretty certain it was a Ricky Stewart pickup, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I just have it in the back of my mind as well. And of course, for those with you know short memory or memory loss, Willie Army had the unfortunate honour, I suppose, uh, or dishonour of being uh, the player. That, how many games did he play? Sixties. It was in the double digits. Uh, of going to start his NRL career without a win. He just had loss after loss after loss uh, across multiple clubs. Uh, had just a shocking luck with getting, getting on the board in the NRL. Eventually did manage to break it. Uh, but, yeah, he gets a chance to help the Warriors rebuild back home. Yeah, look, I, I, evidently I was um, really exaggerating his uh, his background. He's... He's only played with three NRL clubs. I just, I'm just having a bit of a look here. So he was with us in 2013. So you're right there with the Ricky Stewart, um, then Manly, um, St George, and in between then uh, Manly and St George was Catalan. Ah, had a stint over in the English Super League. There you go. Yeah, and most recently been playing rugby union for USA Perpignan. There you go, Perpignan. So he's been around, he's toured the globe, played a bit of uh, different codes there, and now he's back in the NRL for the New Zealand. Yeah, uh, and Fijian International. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Braden. He's, uh, his career is continuing on. He is, uh, well, I mean, this is a surprise. He's only just about to turn 30. Yeah, uh, just he was young when he joined the Parramatta Reels and he's just kicked around since then, so... Done a lot of good new NRL contract, and you know if he sees playing time for the Warriors is probably due to injuries, but still, well done for getting the new deal. Yeah, and so uh, at forty, just adding it up, forty six NRL games. There you go. So a chance to get the fifty caps this year for a bit of luck. Yeah, yeah, and and look, I think any any player that gets one NRL cap has gone further than ninety nine point nine. Yeah, when you do the maths on it, on, on people that pursue the NRL dreams, just to get to the NRL is an achievement in and of itself. To uh, rack up fifty, uh, you get to. It sounds weird to say, you know, so blasé, but it is a pretty elite club when it comes to professional sports. It absolutely is because uh, what's the average number of NRL games per player? Oh. Isn't it something like it, it's it's a ridiculous. We, we've had some. Of this, we've had some of this stuff quoted to us by like metrics that clubs have internally and like conversion rate of prospects to the NRL, average NRL careers. And, and it is real eye-opening when you, when you hear them, you know, I think the average game span might be in the teens uh, or something yeah. like that. And, you know, and in a given sort of development class, you get like one to three players maybe that play NRL. So, yeah. you know, the, to get that far, even if you joke about, you know, not being the best in the thing for any given player, they've still done so damn well. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, 60s, this doesn't involve the Parramatta Reels, but one of the most fascinating off-season stories has been the feud between young gun, 18-year-old playmaker Kurt Oluapu, I believe, or Oluapu, uh, who's feuding with the Brisbane Broncos, wanting to get out of the contract that he's just signed uh, with uh, claims that he was signed uh, under duress. They took advantage of his, uh, of him telling him not to read through the details. Uh, there's been talk about the Dolphins being sort of in the wings waiting to scoop him up if he can get out of the deal. The Broncos are standing firm. Uh, a lot of he said, they said sort of stuff right now, but it's getting pretty ugly pretty quickly, mate. It's one of those things where 
you wonder at what point bridges have been burnt. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's yeah. like yeah. You, you can see the club wanting to stand their ground and not be a pushover when it comes to a contract. But you also think, do you want that? I mean, he obviously has an issue with them. It feels like he, he feels he's been personally slighted. If there's no way that they can work this out in the short term, you wonder how much damage is done by keeping someone like that within the club. And I suppose this situation, when it comes to, we talk about this all the time, but when it comes to American sports, because they're set up with drafts and a few different things, if you've got a disgruntled player, you can actually trade them for assets, whether it's picks, players, cash considerations if you're in baseball. Uh, this screams to be a situation where the Broncos would be willing to cut bait and if the you know if it was another club in the mix, whether it's the Dolphins or any team that was desperate for a playmaker and was sort of agitating to get uh, young Kurt, uh, they'd be pushing to say, okay, we well, can have him, but you've got to give us something back in exchange. And it just it doesn't happen in the NRL because the way we're set up. But uh, you know, if there was a system where you could get something, where it was like some sort of cap credit or something like that, I imagine the Broncos would be very happy to move him on if he's that disgruntled. And who's done the bad job here? Is it his previous manager? Well, the, 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 the details are pretty murky. Uh, I, I know that Mole sort of uh, rugby league, former rugby league week weekly, but now what was it, Wild Water Sports Mole? Yeah. Uh, is uh, sort of the one that's carrying the story across this week. Um, but I, 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 the way it's phrased, uh, young Kurt is sort of putting all the blame on the Broncos, as you'd imagine, saying uh, that they hadn't handed him a 40-page contract or something like that, told him not to worry about the details, you know, just put the signature on it. Uh, and there was, like I said, implications of signing under duress or coercion, uh, which is, it, it's a very serious allegation to make. Uh, yeah, but he, he had representation. Yeah. So if you've got, a, and that's literally why you have play managers, right? So I don't know who was at fault back then. I think, is it Matt Adamson's his manager, at least right now? Yeah, yeah. So he's, it wasn't Matt Adamson before Matt Adam, Adamson has taken him on. Yeah. But. So someone's, like, someone's done him dirty prior to Matt signing on there. Yeah, yeah. So it's you'd, you'd have to say that whatever has happened, that it's not just one party that's at fault there. And, you know, like, does a player of that age have the right to dictate to a club where he's going to play? Yeah, it's the young superstar problem that the game's facing uh, because this, once again, this is always a two-way street. Uh, you know, I say the young superstar problem. Uh, we, we've seen players younger and younger demanding that they get the start or they move on. You know, when when clubs have shown that you know, time to cook in the oven and reserve grade and, and honing your game can be much better for them. Uh, but you know, you risk you risk losing them. But on the flip side, you know, play young players want to maximise their earning and want to get into the first grade as quick, get into first grade, sorry, as quickly as possible, not the first grade. Uh, so, yeah, it's one of those tricky things. And like I said, in American sports, it's become increasingly player-driven. Uh, and in the NRL, they need to find the balance where you know young stars have a clean pathway to first grade, but at the same time, they can't also just demand, yeah, we, you put us in first grade or we leave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I, on the surface, I, I have big question marks about 
whether I'd want a player with that attitude within the club, but I'm saying that without any knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Completely as an outsider without any informed uh, understanding of the situation, which we're not going to get because it's very much, like I said, he said, they said, and, you know, uh, on Kurt's side, he's going to allege that the Broncos are in the wrong. The Broncos are going to say, we did the right thing by him uh, and he needs to honour the contract. But, yeah, it's this is why player representation is important and why player managers, the the ones that are doing shoddy jobs, can do so much damage to the game. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's move on but, to some Parramatta news, 60s, before we get into the uh, new proposed NRL cap stuff as well as the draw. The, this, this one will probably draw some or elicit some mixed emotions from you. The Parramatta Eels have re-upped in their major partnership with the Northern Territory uh, for a further three years, which... Uh, it is actually insane reading this now off the Parramatta's official statement, but at the conclusion of this new deal, we'll have been partnered with the Northern Territory for 12 years, 60s. It has been a blink of an eye, it feels like. 12 years. Uh, that, that's at the yeah. end of the three-year deal, but it's going to be 12 years, a dozen. Unreal. Yeah, look, it's it's been a partnership which has been very good to the club in terms of the income, in terms of the community work that the club's been able to do up in the Northern Territory and, and likewise for the Territory um, and the promotion around it with the Territory Eels and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I have my issues around the conditions that they play in, in travelling up there, about who the opponents are, where it's most likely one of the Queensland clubs and it's going to be again next year with the Broncos being the opponents, and it's not quite as bad as the Cowboys being the opponents, but I think we're basically, um, well, I don't know that we are, it's like the NRL is creating the game product to suit the Northern Territory, which is fantastic for them and their market there, but it, but if our business is in winning football games and we make it hard for ourselves when we're playing the Cowboys in conditions that best suit them. And although not to the same extent, we are taking a game to the Northern Territory where there will be plenty of Queensland, uh, plenty of support for the Queensland team in the Broncos up there. So Yeah, well, the good uh, news, as you sort of alluded to there, 60s, no North Queensland Cowboys, at least for season 2023. The Eels are bringing the Brisbane Broncos back for what I believe is the second matchup that we've had up in the Northern Territory. Uh, we, we beat them 48 points to, I think, four, eight, something like that. Last time with that uh, incredible Mitchell Moses little karate kick down the sideline at one point. Uh, but yeah, at least it's not the Cowboys. That's the, that's the big sort of silver lining here. Uh, it also lines up with the Anzac round this year, uh, which in terms of Australian history is probably fairly poignant for Darwin given what happened to them with the, the bombing raid. So be very interesting to see what they do to not necessarily celebrate but remember Uh you know, the, what happened way back then uh, and tied into the Anzac round. Yeah, so um, now I don't know whether that means that we will wear an Anzac jersey over two rounds. Um, probably not. That'll be just that one round, so there wouldn't be a a home, home match for us to wear the Anzac jersey at. So, um, yeah, look. I, I have to take it as a positive, the re-upping of that um, uh, partnership. But uh, I, I always have that trepidation around um, not just the 
uh, opponents there that we that we get drawn, but also the uh, the match conditions and the lingering effect, which normally um, doesn't necessarily affect us the week after, but but actually two the weeks lag after. two weeks after exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So but yeah, a like real I physical said, drain on the players playing in those conditions. It's hard to be upset about it, given the the financial windfall that's sort of associated with it, and how I believe that our football operations are either sort of neutral or profitable, probably by and large on the back of that. Uh, so it's kind of hard to say no to it. But Eels also sporting a very good record up and down as much as it does impact our season uh, outside of playing the North Queensland Cowboys. We're undefeated. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the latest at the NRL salary cap uh, with the RLPA and the sort of high command of the NRL butting heads over the last few weeks right through the World Cup. We're getting closer and closer to what I believe will be an accord. Uh, the latest for, or per the NRL camp that sort of has been leaked to the media via, I think it was Peter Bedell on Twitter and part of the Courier-Mail, if I'm not mistaken, uh, has said that uh, Peter Volandis has now proposed a $12.5 million NRL salary cap moving forwards for 2023 and beyond with each with which, oh my goodness, which, if true, would be a 22.5% increase on the existing salary cap. Uh, quite a con- considerable windfall for both clubs and players. But once again, geez, 2023 recruitment strategy would have been vastly different, vastly different for all 16 clubs and the 17th club in the Dolphins had they known this even six months prior. This is where I feel that the NRL is still hasn't got its act together because you can't have these sorts of negotiations going on for the upcoming season when, as you said, most of the recruitment has already been done. Like, it's just... Uh, yeah, it, it just it, makes it, no sense. Amateur hour is probably the, the fairest way of describing it. It is not a good look for not, not just a professional code, but a multi-billion dollar industry you know this it's not good enough and hopefully moving forwards into the next cba and and all the sort of enterprise bargaining around that things will be much more professional because goodness this is just and it's not just because it's hurt Parramatta. you know this is just not a good look for the game in general there are players out there still unsigned because they've been in negotiation with nrl clubs but they do not have a finalized cap so it's uh, i know that we talked about andrew davey in the past i think harry grant's been quite vocal this week about the uh, struggles and the frustrations of players across the code, it is just not good enough. So hopefully this can get agreed upon sooner rather than later so clubs can get their um, sort of top 30 finalised. These players can get their lives settled for at least 12 months, if not more. Uh, you know. And, and speaking of that, it's not the only sort of stuff to come out of that. Bedell uh, tweet and article, uh, Peter Valandis has also proposed that NRL development contracts will be bumped up to $80,000 for season 2023, and beyond that, they would then get an additional bump up to $125,000, so raising the baseline on the smallest sort of full-time contracts there. That's not the NRL minimum contract. That's the development contracts there, 60s. Yeah, so you'd assume that the um, the base contracts would have to come up as well. Well, they're 120, 110K right now, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, so surely yeah, they'd be fine. lifted to $125,000 as well. Uh, and that that is something I'm more than happy to see. I mean, they're professional athletes, so yes, they're getting more money than the average person, but inflation is hitting everyone right now, and that's probably a fair reflection of 
the appreciation of the baseline wage for the NRL, right? Yeah, and I also hope that within all these uh, funding uh, strategies that there is the necessary funding for grassroots footy. Well, that's, they never talk about it 60s, but yes, especially when you've got a couple of clubs that really shoulder the burden of NRL development, especially in Sydney. You know, you talk about Parramatta, you talk about Penrith in particular. They're the two clubs that have just, yes, they get benefits from having these, you know, larger junior catchments, but at the same time, the the magnitude, you know, we talk about the Paris stories and, and sort of the eye-opening numbers that we've seen 60s, but the number of clubs that you're trying to support here and, and facilitate the growth of rugby league in the game, it, the, jun- the, the NRL needs to make sure the grassroots are getting watered healthily. Well, let's face it, if an organisation like Parramatta Leagues Club didn't exist, uh, mm. you would have the, the the, and I imagine this would be the case for Penrith as well with their Leagues Club, but if an organisation like Parramatta Leagues Club didn't exist, then it would be uh, the, the funding that goes into the Junior Rugby League via the Leagues Club. There, there'd be a, a whopping great hole that would have to be filled by uh, the parents of young rugby league players. And and look, don't get me started on what it's going to mean as well as they start to implement these changes about non-competitive oh, yeah. uh, rugby league oh, yeah. um, moving forward. Um, really, oh, I mean, that, that it is a topic for, for um, you know, for another day, but oh, I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just, I, I just, I scratch my head. I just, honestly, I scratch my head about that. I, uh, I yeah, it's one just, of those things where you understand that, like I said, it's a multi-billion-dollar industry. There is a lot of high-powered and difficult decisions you got to make. But at the same time, some of this stuff is so straightforward and common sense. It, it is amazing how you can trip over and stumble when it comes to clearing even the smallest hurdles with these things. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the other thing too that was interesting that came out was the RLPA wanting a seat. On the commission. Which I, I don't think is unreasonable. I think the players should have a voice in the direction or the steering of the game. Uh, but again, the commission's been such a mess. You know, I, I is that know. not a conflict of interest, however? I mean, they are the, like they are arguably the primary stakeholder in the game. They are the product. So, well, they're the pro- yeah, they're the product. I'm I'm going to draw a line between the product and the stakeholder. They they to me are the product, a product that is for the most part well paid. Now I'm I'm behind the players in so many things, right? But I think when it comes to um, having an independent commission that I don't think you can have players represented on it. I really don't. Um, Or representative of the players. It it is a fascinating discussion that, one, just me and you could obviously go back and forth with to great detail, but it's also one that if you had more expert sort of discussion or expert analysis coming in from people that have a, whether it's Bernie or or even like the players' voice in this, I'd be very interested to sit here and, and listen to it. Because it is a very nuanced discussion about, you know, like we said, the, the players are the product and NRL leadership hasn't always been uh, decisive or, or 
competence, not the word I'm looking for, but necessarily being as productive as it should have been. So maybe the players feel like they need to have a hand on the steering wheel here. I don't know. But, uh, but the players' association is in in is in essence a, a union. Yes, oh, it, that is what it is. It's literally yeah. uh, in in all but a name, the union. Yes. Yeah. So you want? I'm 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 just struggling to think in in what circumstances you would have the union represented on an independent body like that. Yeah, I'm I mean, just, prof- prof- professional sports are very bizarre in that regard. Uh, and the other thing too, I suppose, is if they've got a seat on the table, they still don't have one seat. Maybe they're trying yeah. to argue to have multiple seats, but it would, li- in in a way, it would almost be a cosmetic place. Like they would literally just be there to say, we conscientiously object or support to something because the actual power would still be in the rest of the commission. I don't know. Yeah. It, well, I, I understand why you'd be reticent to have them at the table in that regard. Uh, by the same token, I suppose, you know, professional sports is one of the more uh, unique and exotic sort of industries where the players being both a stakeholder and the product itself will point to themselves and say, no, we need to have our you know hand on the steering wheel, our voice in this, in the sort of uh, say of everything. But yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm anti-union or anything like that because I was a union delegate. No, no, union... For, and for like, the best part of a decade. Exactly. Unions absolutely have their place, you know, especially as capitalism becomes more and more uh, driven to the highest levels. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is interesting, the sort of... Not, not even the morals, just like the actual uh, structures of having the players be part of the executive for the game. Yeah. So, um, um, but the funding, mate, uh, how are we traveling now? We, we just about through, uh, we're, we're getting close. Uh, one more thing with the proposed cap changes $150 million of funding over the next five years for the NRLW, including the raising of the cap to $800,000 a season. Uh, that would come in line with the expansion of the NRLW to 10 teams, I believe, 60s. Yeah, uh, so 10 teams. By 24 players per squad, you're looking at an average salary of 33,333 cents repeater, uh, which is probably a long way from where I would like to see the sort of the average wage be right now. You talk about essentially having what would be a, not industry, but national average wage, which is probably close to the $80,000 when you're factoring in inflation and whatnot these days. That would mean a salary cap close to the $2 million uh, for yeah. each for each team, uh, which you know is not cheap, but the NRLW is growing, and I think it needs to start getting towards that metric. Uh, if you want these women to be full-time athletes, they need to at least be able to step away from a side job and be able to focus on football. So, obviously, we're talking about – you talked about the averages there. Uh, yeah, because that, that, be- that is the average. That's not factoring in that superstars will get paid more. Yeah. And leaving the actual average wage probably close to the forty or fifty thousand dollars for you know just a squad player. Look, I guess could they get to a situation where they structure club salary caps where they get to have a certain number of players that are um, where there is a a payment level above the salary cap that they're allowed to spend on. Uh, a couple of marquee players. Yeah, that, that's probably what's going to happen is they're going to be tiered or centralised yep. contracts in that regard where, like you said, three, five, whatever the number is, marquee players get cap exceptions to be uh, you know, signed to higher tier deals. 
but yeah, the the NRLW obviously the emphasis for the competition itself is going to be to continue to grow, to continue to maintain a high quality of football, to attract corporate sponsorship, and you know start not even to be self sustaining, but like you know just help the growth of the game. But likewise, I'd also like to see the NRL continue to invest in the game properly, and and that like I said means that there has to be a livable wage, and not just livable, but you know they can actually live comfortably uh, while being a full-time footballer. Yeah, so we're now getting to the stage where with the NRLW that uh, throwing in their, we assume it'll be a nine-round competition. Yes, single round robin uh, yeah. rounds, plus it probably a buy at that point as well. Yep, so, um, and then there'll be, say, two to three weeks of finals football. Depend- I, I don't know what their final structure is going to be with uh, 10 teams. Do they go to a top five? Um, uh, and have some, uh, I'd, I'd say it'd probably be a top five, right? You have, uh, yeah, top five. Yeah, well, that's what I'd, I, that's what I'd like to see. And then you get the, you know, the minor premier gets a, week's, uh, a week off, Um then you then you have the um, the old like the upper, old top five upper, upper bracket final upper bracket, series two, three, of rugby five. yeah exactly yeah so but I mean where this is all supposition at this stage Absolutely. but if you had something like that you got three weeks of finals so you, you're talking about um, you know around 12, 13 weeks of actual football you throw in say about three weeks of preseason into that as well now you're starting to talk about four months. Commitment, yeah, exactly. To an NRLW exactly. season, so it makes the jobs that they hold down just that little bit harder. It makes training over that extended period just that little bit more challenging. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's certainly in the realms of the old um, New South Wales Rugby League uh, Premiership as it was prior to it becoming a national uh, competition with the Rugby League. Um, with the, the part-time players, where all the all the all the boys basically held down jobs, and uh, you know you had the elite players back then in the early '80s would have been on you know around thirty thousand dollars or something like that for their contracts. Um, obviously, the money was worth a lot more back then. If you were on on that sort of money, you might have been quite happy to be on a deal like that. But um, yeah, it's I think. If they want to attract the the best female athletes to the game and have them take it as a real option for where they go, then it's it's going to have to start to keep pace with the number of weeks of commitment that they expect from the players. Yeah, exactly. And that's a so, nice place to wrap that up there. Uh, I think that the two sides, the RLPA and the NRL, are closer to an accord, like I said. And it needs to be done. Like whoever who's at fault, both sides, one side, I don't care. Uh, clubs and players need to be able to move on with the 2023 season. Yeah. All right. The NRL draw drop 60s and Parramatta are right in the thick of it. Let's uh, talk through what it means for the Eels and all teams in the competition because there's 17 teams, 27 rounds and three buys. So it's going to be a, a wild, wild ride in 2023. And it kicks off with the blue and gold hosting the Melbourne Storm, mate. Thursday night football, Combank Stadium, round one, very first game of the season. Uh, it doesn't get much bigger because there is a lot on the line. Not only do the Eels want to start the season winning, obviously, but it's streak v streak. The uh, Melbourne yeah. Storm bring their legendary round one run. I think they're up to twenty-two wins consecutively in round one. 
Um, yes. Since Wayne, uh, Wayne, since Craig Bellamy took over and pitted against that as Parramatta's not quite, I'd say, equally, but still very much impressive four-year stretch inside the top eight where they haven't missed a single week inside the top eight. So the winner of this one keeps either their 20-plus-year 20, 20 streak alive or their four-year streak inside the top eight alive. Yeah, and but you'd have to say both are major achievements. Oh, incredible achievements! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't you 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 cannot downplay what Parramatta has achieved over the last four years because that's four years coming right on the back of a wooden spoon. Mm-hmm. And that, so so that mini rebuild season, that we had to do exactly. Yeah, that wooden spoon season of 2018 was fo- has been followed up by four years of never being outside of the top eight at the end of any round. So and it and it basically that points to the fact that we've won the first round for the last four years, and that's critical if you're gonna if you're gonna be there in that position, you have to win that first round every year. So, uh, what bigger task is there than uh, coming up against Melbourne? Maybe coming up against Penrith might have really challenged it, but. One of the interesting things is that um, when you go and you have a look at the at the uh, at the drawer, is that the uh, the eels are listed as two dollar fifty outsiders. Whoa! In that first match. Whoa! The score coming in at a dollar fifty four. So yeah, a lot of water gone that bridge. A lot of water gone that bridge. Sports betting. Come on. Uh, but, yeah, Eels obviously kicking off their season and the NRL on a Thursday night. And it really sets the trend for the Eels with that primetime shine 60s. Because I hope you like Thursday and Friday night football. 13 combined appearances with 11 of them being in the primetime slot. Only two 6 p.m. kickoffs on Friday night. The primetime Eels are here in 2023. They are. I'm, I have to admit, I am not a fan of Thursday night football. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh... it, it, it really... It doesn't feel like part of the weekend. It just doesn't. Um, yeah, like, and it's it's probably the lowest drawing night in terms of the crowds. Oh as yeah, well. it's it's awful for crowds. Yeah, unless it's round one launch where everyone's going to be super excited to get out there. I'm expecting Combank to be a sellout for Melbourne coming to town. In general, once you get into the actual grind of the season, you know, jobs just. You knock off work at six six thirty, and you're trying to get out to Parramatta in time for the game. It just it saps all your energy. You're feeling flat. The game doesn't finish until ten thirty because it kicks off closer to eight o'clock than anything else. And you know you're going to get home by about midnight, depending on where you live in Sydney. And you got to go back to work on Friday. It just doesn't add up to a, an enjoyable experience outside of the football itself. Or whether you're doing a live appearance. Well, at the club yeah, and then yeah, you, the you kick off at 11 p.m. at Jack's Bar and Grill, and you know you've, you've got plenty of faithful turning up still. But you know you've got to chat to a legend, and you're wrapping up at you know 12 o'clock. Yeah, it's it's rough. So it's one of those ones where Thursday night football is great for the TV crowd. Uh, it fills a huge slot in the week, and it's a a big part of the NRL's you know bargaining strength with the TV stations is that they can cover Thursday through to Sunday plus the odd Monday game uh, when it comes to public holidays. But it is just awful for a fan. Uh, even if you, even if you're not working in, uh, in what's it called a demanding job, just the fact that you're getting out there so late on a Thursday night is rough. Oh, mate. Now, so, look, first of all, a shout-out to all of our uh, 
supporters, our followers that uh, front up down at the down at Jack's Bar and Grill in Parramatta Leagues Club after every home match appearance that we do there. Uh, it was it's been brilliant over the last two years. So uh, uh, 2021, the pre-match appearance, 2022, the post-match appearance, it's blown us away how many how many people uh, front up down there, even even our appearance during the final series where um, it wasn't part of a game day. It was, we had no uh, Eels legend there with us. It was just uh, the two of us and, <laughs> and, and some of our mates from TCT and our associates um, down there in, in Jack's and just having a bit of a chat about the uh, upcoming match. And it was, yeah, it, it was a, a great year for that. So shout out to everyone there that uh, fronts and uh, gives us such great support. Uh, but yeah, it's almost like the NRL must look at the clubs and go, now, which clubs can actually handle a Thursday night and still get a decent crowd? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, without a doubt, that'd be a factor. Uh, yeah, but, it's, uh... yeah, well, it's, uh, you, you've got to look at the draw. And we were talking about this before we started recording as well about the hard versus the soft draws. Now, I know it doesn't always work out that way once the competition gets up and running in a new new season because you can't always judge who's going to be the strong teams or who's going to be the, the uh, top eight teams based on the previous season. But you, you do get a bit of a guide. And once again, we're seeing certain clubs look like they've benefited from a, a draw that's much softer than other clubs. Yeah. Uh, Cronulla and North Queensland, I think they're both in the sort of top three or four for soft draws again this year after getting a pretty cushy run through season 2022. Parramatta, again, in the top four or five hardest bracket. So the Eels just, uh, unfortunately, I mean, I say unfortunately, but it's proven to be a pretty good uh, preparation for the finals for the Eels, at least in season 2022. But they're not getting any freebies this year. Uh, I was going to say some of the NRL must be a fan of NSYNC because we've got Bye 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 happening this year. Uh, with free buys for all teams for the Eel 60s, it falls through the mid, uh, the mid sort of mid season in rounds 14 and 18. So they get to sort of navigate that tricky origin period with a bit of extra time, space to breathe. But they get the round 27 buy, mate. So they're going to go to the final week of the regular season, get the week off. Which this is going to be interesting to see how it plays out because for Parramatta, a team that traditionally doesn't come off the buy with a lot of momentum, it could be. A negative, but we just saw in the NRL final series that Penrith took great advantage of what was essentially around 25, I think it was uh, this year, around 25 by where they played their reserve grade team and subsequently came through the NRL finals absolutely red hot, tearing in on a physical level that no team could match. And you also have to think back to 2021 where the last round match was going to have no bearing on us, so BA rested most of the team in that mm -hmm. final round and gave debuts to a whole lot of uh, players yeah, that were coming through. Yep. So maybe that is exactly what Parramatta wanted. Uh, obviously, they have to do the work to, to qualify be. for finals football. Yeah. And uh, we hope that just like we were hoping for last year where the the flames were burning from the way that Parramatta exited the, the competition in 2021 against Penrith in the final series that losing the grand final would have the, the, that the flames burning again, like really 
really working at gnawing at the players like that 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 desire to go one better than they did this year or at the very least to be back there in the big dance again because we know only too well those opportunities don't come around too often so um yeah let's let's hope that the when the players and the majority of them won't be fronting up until January mm-hmm. to pre-season training. Uh, some of them will be December. Those that aren't involved in the in the World Cup, I'm talking about the NRL regulars. So most of the NRL regulars will be there uh, from December onwards. But all of those involved in the Rugby League World Cup, we're not going to see them till January. Every club's going to be facing the similar sort of issues. Yeah, but exactly. um, yeah, they they have to get their heads on straight pretty quickly. Uh, they have to keep themselves in good shape over the Christmas and New Year without any pre-season work that uh, they would have had before then. So, um, yeah, other, interesting time. Yeah, and, other, uh, other quirks of our draw 60s. Uh, Eels alongside the Roosters, the only two teams with three five-day turnarounds. Obviously very frustrating. Thankfully for the Parramatta Eels, uh, none of the three turnarounds, whether it's the games before or the games leading to it, uh, feature top eight opponents from season 2022. I think it goes uh, Bulldogs to Broncos for the first one, which I believe is the Anzac match. Uh, Bulldogs to Seagulls across the two weeks there for the five-day turnaround, and then Dragons to Broncos at the back end of the season for our third five-day turnaround. Still very frustrating that the NRL can't accommodate a better schedule here, uh, but thankfully no scary... I mean, I say no scary opponents. We know there's no gimmies in the NRL, but no monster opposition coming in or after that five-day turnaround? So we're overrepresented in Thursday night games. We're overrepresented in the five-day turnaround. Mm-hmm. And we're overrepresented in matches against top eight opponents. Yeah, yeah, we are. We're certainly uh, doing it in style in that regard. The other little quirks to talk about, uh, Parramatta Eels remain the patron saints of public holidays with an Easter Monday clash against the West Tigers as well as the King's birthday uh, King Charles uh, this uh, is right now against the Bulldogs uh, so both taking place on Monday both taking place at a core stadium so make sure to enjoy that have the day off get out there and support the Eels away from Combank Stadium turn uh, the former Olympic facilities into a sea of blue and gold and like last year's 60s we talked about the gauntlet we had coming into the finals we've got the gauntlet 2.0 for the last six rounds uh, ahead of that, well, the last six rounds ahead of that bye, so the last seven rounds technically, but in that six-game stretch, we've got the Cowboys, Storm, Roosters, and Panthers. doesn't get much tougher than that as you sort of sharpen up for the finals. It served us well this year. Hopefully, it can serve us well next year. Yeah, it's, again, you, you have to... Look, the draw works out its favours as it unfolds. You get quirks like playing against certain teams when they're having an injury crisis or whether they're in form or out of form when you play them. Um, there's There can be all different things that manifest through the season where you can say, geez, we were lucky or geez, we were unlucky. We can look at, at that stretch there and go, that's a tough stretch. We don't know. They All those teams might be at full strength when we play them and it might it might turn out to be a, a real tough draw. It might well be that they are the ideal times to play those teams because maybe they are having an injury crisis or certain players are absent in in that particular time. That's the that's the unknown 
about the draw, Absolutely. isn't it? So, and the last little quirk to talk about. Uh, as tough as our schedule is in terms of versing top eight teams and 2022 top four teams, we do double up against the Panthers, the Cowboys, the Storm, the Roosters, uh, as well as familiar old foes and foes and the Seagulls and the Bulldogs. Uh, surprisingly, no double up against the Tigers this year. We've got the Titans for a double up there. But but silver linings, we only take on the Rabbitohs once this year. Oh, it's this kind of season. So, well, I said in my post, eventually we're going to get that gorilla off our back. We're going to beat the hoodoo, but at least we can only pencil in one almost guaranteed loss for next year instead of two. Oh, geez, mate. Just as I, I was about to say, in 2023, we'll be making uh, South Sydney our bunnies, but uh, and now we miss out on that opportunity. Oh, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> And so I think that's uh, most of the NRL draw in terms of its relevance, the Parramatta Reels, as well as the teams that benefited. I think you're saying that the Raiders also got a pretty cruisy draw in terms of what we know based off 2022. Obviously, there's some volatility and unpredictability when it comes to teams that are going to rise up or fall uh, between that transition from 2022 to 2023. But yeah, right now, biggest winners, Raiders uh, and both the Sharks and Cowboys. Uh, so they probably have a chance to consolidate their runs in 2022. Parramatta, is what it is. Some good, some bad, some funny stuff. Uh, and they're going to hopefully make another big tilt into the finals on the back of that sort of gauntlet. Mate, I'm loving finals football. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, exactly. Now let's uh, start wrapping things up. We've been recording for a bit over an hour, or well over an hour now, goodness, sorry. Uh, let's go on a high note. Let's talk preseason training, mate. you got week one of the preseason to give us a brief recap on. It was a little bit of a, not a skeleton crew, but with the Rugby League World Cup still taking place, with NRL players still on their CBA-mandated uh, well, siesta, break, uh, holiday, whatever you want to call it, uh, the Eels have uh, turned to some of their younger squad members as well as some of their new signings to keep the uh, grounds of Kellyville nice and uh, turned over. Yeah, well, I'm still looking to do a training report on week one so there's a few things I need to tick off and uh, a few things I need to check before I put anything to writing. So I'm also going to be a little bit guarded in what I talk about right now. But just to give people a bit of an overview, there's been there were about 22 players out on the field uh, when they kicked off training on Monday. I believe there's a couple of players that are there doing some form of rehab as well. Uh, it's... A lot of the a lot of the group have the six week train and trial. I don't know if you'd call it a train and trial. It's a it's a six week preseason contract that pathways players generally get. So it's an exposure to NRL training, and it's it's part of their development and part of what they include in the contract. I believe to um, to help the players in seeing their I suppose where they're heading in their journey at the at the club so and it's an important thing too when you think about it because there's a big difference between the standards that are expected at an NRL level and the standards that would be expected at uh, the junior representative level mm -hmm. because a lot of these boys that look there are players out there who uh, would not have had a jersey flag preseason. So, they're, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about, as such, you know, we're talking about 18-year-olds that are out there. 
Um, I'm not going to go rattling off names or anything like that at this stage. Uh, what I can say is that when you're talking about the first week, you're talking about uh, becoming familiar with the sorts of standards that are expected, the players becoming familiar with the drills, mm-hmm. um, the players becoming familiar with what someone like Trent Elkin would like uh, like them to do when it comes to their warm-ups, so that once they get used to some of the, the drills that they do, some of the activities they do as their warm-ups, he can just give them the instruction, right, you're going to be doing this, and then they're able to do it without too much uh, preamble about, you know, you're going to need to do this and this and this and this. You know, they, they start to have that in their repertoire of, okay, this is what this one's about. Um, now, that's not to say that they don't get challenged in other warm-ups throughout the season because one of the things that I've always noticed about Trent Elkin is he talks about thinking about what they're doing and putting thought into what they're doing and have certain focuses um, and things that they're so aiming not, you're for. You're not just going through that. the motions. You, there's actually not a going, focus. Yeah, not just going through the motions. They don't. They don't want uh, brainless involvement in mm-hmm. what they're doing. But as I said, there's still things that they they need to learn the basics of. So there's a lot of familiarisation that's going on there. There was um, a bit more conditioning work that was done today. So um, you mentioned that there are uh, there are some uh, players there that are uh, returning, that are, say, were on second-tier deals um, last year. Basically, if, you, if, they're, if you're a player that hasn't been playing NRL and you weren't involved in final series, then they're players that are you, the ones that you're more likely to see right now at this, at this time. Now, what's going to happen is that there will be a staggered return so you'll start to see in the coming weeks more of the players that were involved in New, at New South Wales Cup level because they played into the first week of the final series. So they'll start to arrive over the next few weeks. Then you'll have, by the start of uh, December, the NRL players that weren't involved in the World Cup. And they'll get maybe two to three weeks of training in before Christmas. And then it's then it's the uh, the boys arriving back from the World Cup. Um, and what not... I will say is that it, it's always interesting at this time of year, just listening to um, the coaches address the players, um, let them know about what their focus areas need to be, um, let them know about the I guess a little bit about the um, I don't know if it's so much a, a culture question, but where the big effort areas are for them, where where it's important for us to be playing um, the sort of football that we that Parramatta plays. Um, so uh, there's been there has actually been some footy on the show this week with some of the drills that they've been doing um, straight already into defensive work as well. Um, Trent Barrett's been doing certain um, uh, plays with the the team as well. Um, so yeah, it's, and again, and that's even despite the fact that there's probably, there might only be one or two players out there at the moment that I expect to be, um, featuring in the NRL itself during this year. So, um, yeah, 
It's uh, it's always an interesting time. A lot of these boys probably won't be there after Christmas because of the fact that they're they're just doing that uh, six week preseason before Christmas. So yep. that's where we're at, mate. But um, as soon as I am able to clarify a few things and clarify a few things around names of players. I'll uh, write up a, a, a training report yeah. the, to sum up first the, the, week. The worst possible thing you can do is try and say, yeah, the, the tall, gangly guy that you know uh, did really well on the conditioning also had a, a great game in the post session as well. It's like, you know, it's, uh, you, you want to have names. Well, it's, it's, it's probably even a little bit more, more than that because we've, we've had some seasons where, you know, you don't want to put – you know, I know who the players are and I, you don't necessarily want to put – undue expectations on them if you know what I mean and it's um, uh, there's a little bit of uh, trying to identify some of the players out there but I think we're I think I'm down with who who's actually out there now but I yeah I just want to make sure that um, everything's okay in terms of um, you know the whether there's if you if you give players a mention whether it's yeah, so you're, you're doing the right thing by the players, by the club, and the fans as well. You know, it's that That's it. that holy That's trinity it. of stakeholders we talk, you know you always talk about. So the the training reports obviously start the flow once we get more of our senior players back, and uh, right up until that Christmas break, and then in the new year it's going to get real spicy because that's when uh, everyone's going to have to hit the ground running uh, due to that Rugby League World Cup and and amp, ramp up, amp up for that March start. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, I think we can start wrapping things up there, mate. As always, an absolute blast to chat football, to chat Parramatta with you. Unfortunately, no Spiro this week. We'll get him back, hopefully, for the uh, Rugby World Cup sort of wrap-up, uh, which will, will be the wrap-up. Um, yeah, it will. Uh, well, it'll be the preview. Pre- it'll, be, it'll be on the doorstep to the grand final, yeah, to the yeah. Men's, men's grand final, as well as uh, previewing the women's and the wheelchair finals too. So that's going to be very, very cool. But as always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Feel free to join the conversation on TCT about anything we've discussed and anything beyond that. Uh, I know that the NRL draw, all the uh, cap stuff, some of those signings, that certainly warrants some conversation. So jump right into that, and we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Go you wheels.